Welcome to HealthCom Central, where we unpack theories and frameworks that can help you create more effective communication to improve both health outcomes and health equity. I'm your host, Karen Hilliard, behavioral scientist and longtime communication practitioner. If you're looking for fresh approaches that get real results, you are in the right place. So let's get started. Hello, HealthCom nerds and HealthCom novices. Welcome to this episode of HealthCom Central. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at lots of different theoretical frameworks. Now, this is not a series in the way that what I just did in talking with you about social marketing was a series, because this is actually what we do, apply research-based frameworks to public health communications. So this is going to be sort of an ongoing thing. But at least for the next few weeks, we're going to be all frameworks all the time. And today we're going to start with one that I think has so much utility in so many different ways. And that is diffusion of innovation. It is a fantastic way to conceptualize not only how people adopt new ideas or behaviors, but how to construct your communication around that adoption process and make sure that you're communicating the right thing to the right people at the right time in order to diffuse or disseminate that innovation, that new idea across a population. As you know, stepping outside of public health can be helpful in thinking of some of these concepts initially. And so I'd like for you to think about the last time that you bought a new technology, nothing necessarily to do with health, but maybe, you know, when you became one of the people who now owns an air fryer, or when you decided to get a smart home set up like Google Nest, or maybe you decided not to get those things. But the last time you considered a new technology. Think about the process that you went through, how you learned about it at first, how you decided that you needed it or didn't need it. What were the sources of information that you used? What were the, who were the people that you talked to? How did you make that decision to adopt a new technology? Chances are you very much followed the framework that we're going to talk about today. Diffusion of innovations can be applied to almost any new idea or technology. It can be true about fashion trends. It can be true with new norms, societal norms. Think about even during the pandemic, the adoption of certain new ideas. And it could be like the totally frivolous ideas like baking sourdough bread or watching Tiger King or doing whatever it was that people were doing back in the early days of COVID-19. It can be getting your groceries delivered. It could be mask wearing. In fact, I think mask wearing is one of the best examples that we can think of a behavior that was really not done by most lay people. I mean, you didn't see people wearing masks in the United States unless they were working in a medical environment. And the adoption of mask wearing by many, many people followed something that looks a lot like diffusion of innovations. One of the things that I think 
diffusion of innovation is most applicable to is policy systems and environmental change, the kinds of changes that we make to address the underlying causes of health inequity, the social determinants of health that are often created by policies or systems or the conditions that surround us, the environments that we live, work, and play in. For example, I worked a couple of years ago on an initiative to help people in public health talk to policymakers about the earned income tax credit as a health intervention. That was a new idea for many people in public health, thinking about tax policy as something that is directly related to health. And the policy itself, earned income tax credits, are new to some locations. There is a federal earned income tax credit, and there are some states and municipalities that have one. But for most states and municipalities in the United States, the earned income tax credit is not something that they have on the books. And so thinking about how you would spread that idea, which is very much supported by research as something that can improve the health of people who receive that money, thinking about how you spread that idea is another thing that we can apply diffusion of innovation to. All right, so let's start talking about it. What is the theory and why is it so useful? Well, diffusion of innovation basically explains the process by which people consider and adopt new ideas. And the idea is that people adopt new things at different rates. And there's a process that they go through every single time. Now, one of the things I used to tell my students about diffusion of innovation is if you're trying to remember it for a test, you can think of five, five, and five. The first set of five is the five stages of the adoption process. So what are those five stages? People have to, number one, develop awareness of the new idea or innovation Number two, they have to develop an interest in it and seek more information. Number three, evaluation. The individual has to evaluate the pros and cons or the benefits and costs of adopting a new idea. Number four, they go through a process of trial where they try it out to assess its usefulness. And then five, the final stage in the process is the individual decides to adopt the new idea and they integrate it into their routine. Generally speaking, a new idea is going to be adopted in waves. And some people are going to be quick to try and adopt a new idea. Other people are going to take a longer amount of time. And again, this is something that you probably intuitively know to be true. You can think about the people on your block who are the first to have some new toy, new gadget, new technology. And then there are other people who may never catch up to them. And Diffusion of Innovation actually looks at these different audience segments and has a pretty good idea not only of how to segment them, but what percentage of the population might be in any given segment. And the five segments that Diffusion of Innovation divides audiences into are first, number one, innovators. These are the first people that try a new idea or innovation. They're just going to be maybe a couple of percent of the population. You have number one, those innovators. Number two, you have early adopters. These individuals adopt the new idea or innovation 
after the first innovators. And they are generally opinion leaders who are respected by other people, who set trends, and who influence the behavior of others. The third group is called the early majority. These individuals come next right after early adopters. They're a little more cautious. They want to know a little more about the benefits and cost of a new idea or technology. And this is when an idea or an invention or behavior really begins to take hold when it when it starts to be adopted by this early majority. That is a growing number of people. And at some point in the adoption process, if a new idea can get enough critical mass, it will begin to be adopted by everybody else. That is the fourth group, the late majority. And this group of people are more skeptical. They may need more convincing, but they're going to tag along after the early majority. And finally, the fifth group is known as the laggards. These individuals are going to be the last to adopt a new idea or innovation. They may never adopt it. In fact, they're resistant to change generally, although sometimes access can be a problem and they may want to adopt something, but they simply do not have access to it. So again, five audience segments, innovators, early adopters, early majority, late majority, and the laggards. And I want to pause now to say that there is a diagram of these audience segments and the adoption process in the episode notes that you can take a look at that shows the classic curve of adoption and how it flows across a population or an audience. Now, one of the things to know here is that the time it takes for a new idea to take hold can really vary. And there's a critical moment in the process where An idea must be adopted first by innovators, second by early adopters, and then it has to do something that we refer to as crossing the chasm or chasm, however you wish to pronounce that word, C-H-A-S-M, but basically crossing a gap, jumping over to the early majority. And so some ideas that are adopted by innovators, that are adopted by early adopters, that are brand new ideas that are all bright and shiny and seem wonderful, never actually get adopted by the early majority. They never make it any further than that. They don't cross the chasm. And so that's one of the most critical points in the communication process is nudging the new idea or innovation into that early majority of adoption. Now, I want to pause for a minute and tell you a little bit about the history of Diffusion of Innovation because it's kind of interesting. Everett Rogers, who developed the framework, came to be a very well-known figure in public health, but he actually began in agricultural science. And his original framework was looking at the adoption of new seeds by farmers. So, you know, you've got this new and improved seed What does it take to get a farmer who's been doing things the same way for a long time to adopt this new idea, to basically take a risk that maybe these seeds won't be as good as what they've used in the past, or to take a risk of paying more and hoping that they will be more productive or easier to grow. But 
his original work looked at the adoption of new seeds for corn, actually, among farmers. Um, And then it turned out that there was great applicability in lots of other fields. And so diffusion of innovation continues to be used a lot in public health, but it is also used quite often in technology because it fits so well with the idea of a brand new idea that people haven't heard of before, a new way of doing things that may be good, but also carries with it some risk. All right. So as communicators, thinking about the fact that people adopt things in stages, not everybody's going to adopt things at the same time, and that there's a critical moment in time when you want to spread that new idea to a larger group of people. And if you don't make it past that chasm, the new idea may just go away. So what are the factors that you can use as a communicator to influence people? Well, again, back to the five plus five plus five of diffusion of innovations. We talked about the five stages of the adoption process, awareness, interest, evaluation, trial, and adoption. We also talked about the five different audience segments, innovators, early adopters, early majority, late majority, and laggards. Now let's talk about how you get those different audience groups to go through that process. Well, they're influenced by five different things. They have to be certain of the relative advantage of the new idea. What's this going to do for me that the old way of doing things didn't? So relative advantage is number one. Number two, compatibility. How compatible is this new idea or innovation with their values, with their needs, with their way of life? Number three, complexity. How hard will it be to use? How hard will it be to adopt? If there's a learning curve, how can they learn what they need to know in order to use it? Number four, trialability. How can they try it out? How much do they have to commit to try it? And then finally, the fifth factor that influences people's decisions is observability. Can they see the new idea or innovation being used by someone else? Can they see its success? And you can see looking at these five factors, some of the ways that communication could be important. The relative advantage of a new idea, often that's going to take data or storytelling to get that across to people. Compatibility with someone's values. Well, first you have to understand their values and you have to map the new behavior to something that they care about. That's something they were already doing if you're applying social marketing or other behavioral science to your communication work. Complexity. They may need how-tos. They may need guidebooks, handbooks. They may need lessons. They may need something to make it simpler so that they understand it and can try it out. Because when we come to the idea of trialability, how easy is it for them to try? Can you give them a free sample? Can they do a pilot program? Is there a way to try it out at the lowest risk possible? Again, that is something that can be part of a larger communication campaign. Finally, observability, seeing it in action. And we can bring so many parts of the communication toolkit to bear on this factor, not only storytelling and documentation of how it's working, but 
arranging site visits or demonstrations, creating live videos, putting up a webcam, a live stream, anything that people can see that tells them this is working for other people like themselves. And at each step of the process, certain kinds of communication is going to be more important than at other points. When you're moving from innovators to early adopters, quite often the early adopters are going to be people who are reading about what the innovators are doing because they are reading research, they are reading technical information, they are attending conferences where they would cross paths with these innovators. It's a very insular kind of experience. And it's going to be based often on one-to-one communication or on specialized media coverage, not mass media, but specialized media coverage. So publication in academic journals would be a way for innovators to demonstrate an idea, to raise awareness about an idea to people who would be potentially in the early adopter category. As you sort of expand outward, you're going to be using even more communication channels. And getting from the early adopters to the early majority to a larger group of the population is going to take communication from opinion leaders, people who are influencers, who are well-respected and trusted. Social networks can also become very important at this point because it can be hard to hear about a brand new idea if your social network is fairly insulated. And so it's often the weak ties that we have, the people that we know distantly, who we may see on social media, who we may cross paths with only once or twice a year. Those weaker ties may be the ones that actually introduce us to a new idea. At different points in the process, different communication channels are going to vary in their importance There's interpersonal communication, social media, and mass media. One really important aspect of communication is two-way communication that allows people to exchange information about new ideas and innovations because feedback can improve a new idea or make a new innovation easier to adopt, better to use, more effective, that sort of thing. So that back and forth communication can be very important. And of course, as we expand into the early majority and the late majority, information campaigns, communication campaigns that are aimed at specific populations are going to increase the likelihood that a new idea will be adopted. What I really love about Diffusion of Innovation is the idea that this is a process that is really fairly predictable. The speed may vary, but it is extremely rare for something to be adopted by a large group of people right away. It generally has to go through this process. And generally speaking, the same factors over and over again are going to be what influence people to take a chance on a new idea. So no matter whether you're introducing a new fashion item, a new kitchen appliance, or a new idea in public health, like the earned income tax credit as a health intervention, like specific improvements to the built environment, needle exchange programs, or 
workplace obesity reduction programs, whatever it is. If you have a new idea that you want to introduce to new audiences, you can apply the Diffusion of Innovations framework to it and determine what communication you need at what time to what audience to move the adoption of an idea or innovation along that adoption curve and get it adopted by the vast majority of the population. You're always going to have some laggards out there, but following the process of this framework, applying the wisdom and the research behind this framework that has been around now for decades can really help you in designing a communication campaign or an intervention designed to change thinking, designed to change behavior, and designed, most of all, to improve health outcomes or increase health equity. I've got a ton of links in the episode notes today, so I hope you will check those out. We've just scratched the surface on Diffusion of Innovation, but I hope it has piqued your interest and that you will take a look for more information. I especially encourage those of you working in the social determinants of health and health equity space to think about how this framework can apply to the ideas and the policies that you want communities to adopt. I will be back next week with yet another framework or theory that we'll unpack a bit. I hope you have a wonderful week and that you will let your colleagues know about HealthCom Central. Until then, stay well, stay safe, and stay science-based. Bye for now. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment now to leave a rating and review. Be sure to subscribe to HealthCom Central on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you have friends and colleagues who should be part of our community, please share the link.